0: everybody. It's great to see everybody again. Uh, Anybody else not sad to see 2020 in the rearview mirror (laughs) at this point? Uh, I'm not wanting to wish my life away, but I am hopeful that things in 2021 will get better and that the vaccine distribution will kick into high gear very soon. So we're going to start this year with some more teaching from Jesus' parables. uh, To get us into this message, let me just say that I suspect Uh, sooner or later pretty much everybody who's ever lived ends up praying I mean when everything falls apart and looks hopeless uh, I think the number of atheists or agnostics tends to dwindle at that point it's help me Jesus or help me God or help me Lord or please the force out there give me a hand something like that there's gonna come a time I think in everybody's life we desperately want something done over which we have zero control and we call out to God Uh, by whatever name you might happen to use, even if you're not a Christian, to insert himself on your behalf, right? But I wonder if if you've ever wondered whether you have what it takes in those times to pray, right? You you kind of suspect sometimes that your prayers are just kind of bouncing off the ceiling. Uh, Maybe they've not been answered and you're wondering, okay, why did they not get answered? Maybe you think, oh, I don't have enough faith or I'm not using the right words or is there some special... Technique to this thing that we've been missing. And I think um, the parable for today, uh, the stuff we're going to look at today, has some insights for us. But we're going to sneak up on that parable out of Luke 18 that Michelle just read for us by checking out some of Jesus' teachings to his disciples, starting in Luke chapter 11, that kind of ties into it. So if you got your Bibles, and I hope you do, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 11. And as you do that, I'll provide just a bit of context. Turns out that Jesus would often just sort of drift away into the wilderness to pray. And obviously his followers, the disciples, watched him do this. Now, I don't know exactly what the results were, but they must have witnessed some powerful answers to Jesus praying. I mean, if they they didn't see something going on, they didn't... Since a connection between what was going on and these prayer times that Jesus had, they would have had no reason to begin to wonder, okay, what's going on with our prayers? What's wrong with what we're doing? Jesus has something different going on than we've got going on. So at one point, one of them gets up the courage to ask Jesus to teach them to pray like he does. And Jesus gives them a pretty short answer, but it's pretty profoundly deep. And it kind of makes me laugh, really, because I've got some books on prayer in my shelf in my office they are like two inches thick, but Jesus covers the topic in like 13 verses. <laughs> so we'll start with this passage, you know, take a look at some other things, and all the while we're kind of digging into how is it we can pray so we can get answers. So Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1, it says this, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples, okay, unnamed, could have been any of them, right? Maybe they do straws. We we don't know. But somebody, one of them, did approach Jesus and said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John, he's referring to John the Baptist, as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say. So don't miss that word. When you pray, say. You might need to mark this or highlight it. It's going to become very important. What do you say? Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation. Now, most of you are probably scratching your heads if you've been walking with Christ for a long time um, uh, because you see something weird about this passage. It's something strange. It's missing some things. Right. Well, actually, there's there's two Lord's prayers in the Bible, and they probably shouldn't even be titled the Lord's Prayer. It's not a prayer that he prayed verbatim. It's a prayer he taught his followers to pray, So just clock in your head right now the, the difference between the version we just read in Luke 11 and the one we find out uh, over in the Gospel of Matthew, Chapter six. They're similar, have a lot of similar stuff, but there are some differences. Uh, cover a little bit more about that later because immediately after Jesus says this about how they ought to pray he follows it up with this fascinating little vignette and then Jesus said to them which of you has a friend who has a friend which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him friend lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him and he the friend will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything just because he's a friend, yet because of his impudence or shameless audacity or persistence or bugging him to death, <laughs> he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now to you know, a couple things about this story we might not grasp in our culture. First of all, midnight at that time was far later than it is for us. Well, how's that? Well, they didn't have electricity. So they went to bed pretty soon after the sun went down. And then they get up pretty soon as the sun comes up. So midnight for them in those days would be a little bit more like 2 or 3 a.m. in our time. So you're also thinking, okay, what kind of a friend is gonna to go to a friend's house in the middle of the night to ask for bread. Seems pretty lame. But we need to grasp that in that culture, to have a guest staying over and you have a bare cupboard with nothing to give them to eat, it was an incredible social faux pas. It would be so humiliating and embarrassing to be found in this situation. In that culture, as it is in most of the places in the Middle East, hospitality was extremely important. So this was a huge deal back then. But it says, look, the guy did not get the bread just because he asked. He got it because of his persistence. He just kept banging on the door. He just kept asking. And just in case the disciples didn't get the main point of this story, which is when it comes to prayer, persistence pays off, he just actually explained to them exactly the point starting in verse 9. He says, As I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. An example. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him instead a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, being human, Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the heavenly Father, who by the way is not evil, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask it? Now, something a little bit uh, that we might miss in our English language, because when it comes to Greek verbs and tenses and the way time is used uh, in English, it's not as always as precise as it is in the Greek. But the verbs here are in what's called the present imperative tense. That means it starts with a command and imperative and the present imperative tense means that you just keep on doing it. So so basically if you want to translate this more literally, it's it's so ask and keep on asking and seek and keep on seeking and knock and keep on knocking. We we typically think ask means to do it, you know, once or maybe a couple times, but not a continual ongoing asking or seeking or knocking. And that highlights one thing you know the, the necessity for persistence however note this Jesus says to pray and keep on doing it but there's something beyond what you are asking for that you probably desperately need maybe you saw this in the last verse that yeah you keep asking and it says the father will will flood you not necessarily with what you're asking but with more of the holy spirit so i got got to sort of ask myself the question well, what's this about Well, okay, what's the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit helps line us up, align up what we want with what is the will of God. Because when we ask for something and it's God's will, Bible tells us it's as good as done, right? So persistence in prayer is is a little bit of of a process between you and God through the Holy Spirit, kind of in some cases discerning what is God's will. And that discernment, the Holy Spirit just might change or adjust what you ask for remember Jesus on the eve of his death he prays he basically says this Hey, I don't want to do this I really don't want to go to the cross there's any other way to do this than this let's go there but he also because he's full of Holy Spirit ends that prayer not my will but yours and he goes to the cross so he's like persistence is the kind of thing that allows us to buy the time we need for God through the Holy Spirit to kind of help inform us on how we might pray better. So just kind of tuck that away for future reference. And, and interestingly, a few chapters later, okay, verse chapter 18, Jesus gives them another parable, which Michelle just read, which contains essentially the same main point. So let's check that out again jesus says this in 18:1. he tells them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart or in some translations not give up jesus lays out right away what the purpose of the parable is when you feel like giving up you like losing heart you feel like it's not doing any good keep on praying and then here's the parable jesus uses to illustrate the point about the judge city there's a judge who neither feared god nor respected man that is he didn't give a flip what God thought, and he didn't care a flip about what people thought. He was not influenced by either of those things. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Now for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, "Neither I, know, I neither fear God, though I neither fear God nor respect man. I don't care what they think. yet, yeah, because his widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And then the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. Kind of goes back to that. Here's what the, the evil people, you know, evil fathers would do, they would do nice things for their kids. He says, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God, who's not unrighteous, give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Okay. You're a thinking human being, and you've been a Christian for a while, and you've prayed during tough times. That last word there, speedily, is a little curious, isn't it? I mean, it's like, okay, you pray, and boom, there it is. I mean, hasn't he been telling us to seek and keep on seeking and knock and keep on knocking and asking and keep on asking? It doesn't sound like it's needed It just says, uh, keep pestering and bothering So these are just two little stories about people who just kept the pressure on until the people who didn't want to actually give them what they asked for got worn down and did it. So what is, what is he talking about when he says he will give justice to them speedily? I don't think it means that they're going to get it quickly the minute they ask. It means that they will get it quickly in the sense of suddenly. When it comes, boom, it's there. It's like it's not there yet. It's not there yet. Not there yet. And then, boom, there it is. The answer's in. So passage in goes on. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That's verse 8. In other words, it's going to be a while. I mean, think about think about this. How long was the period between the promise of a Messiah in Genesis 315 and Jesus actually showing up? Thousands of years, right? In fact, it was 400 years after the last scripture that God gave people and the the appearance of, of Jesus, Jesus. The last book of the Old Testament to the appearance of Jesus, 400 years. He just says let me tell you about how important persistence is i wonder when i come back it's been 2000 years plus right since he's on the earth about 2000 years says, when i come back are people going to have given up expecting me to return or will they be praying as i've talked in the prayer to pray Will they keep on praying keeping on until the answer me goes up now that's the parable in luke 11 and kind of a similar one out of Luke 18. So here's what I want to do with the rest of our time. I want to get real practical. How does this actually work out in terms of kind of how we do life? Mm-hmm. I want to draw your attention to like four things to kind of keep our eyes on if we want our prayers to actually get answered. And as we dig into this, it's important that we not forget something. There, I mean, there's lots of ways to connect with God. Sometimes we connect with God, then we're reading scripture and meditating on it, right? Sometimes we can connect with God when we're out in nature. We just are amazed by the beauty and it makes us reflect on God because of what the nature shows us about God's character and all that kind of stuff. We, connect, we can connect with God as we thank him for the blessings he's brought into our lives. We can connect with God during worship. We can connect in with God when the scriptures are taught. We can connect with God when other people bring us godly counsel and advice and correction. We can connect with God by just being, like I say, meditating, being quiet and listening. That's all good. But all that is not what this parable is all about. And you'll see why this is important in a minute. Jesus wasn't talking about having a generic connection with God uh, here or how to be close with God or how that here is leading for you. He's saying, look, if you, if you want something done, you want to make a request, this is what you do. And at least the first principle. Prayer is primarily an action. It's not just an attitude. If you want to learn how to pray, we got to learn that it's not just being in an attitude of prayer, it's not just being generically aware of God. It's that prayer, when you're trying to see God move and do something to give you an answer, to to change something, or maybe instructions on what you're supposed to do, prayer is an action that we engage in. That's why when they asked Jesus to teach them to pray, the first thing Jesus told them was that they were to say something, actually framing words and expressing. them. Now, why does this matter? I think a lot of people confuse prayer with being uh, generally spiritually aware or spiritually in tune or kind of, you know, thinking about God in general or trying to live for God in general. They think, well, I'm always prayerful. I'm always in an attitude of prayer. And I think, well, it's great that you're thinking about God and then He's sort of in the back of your mind in the, in the operating system. And we're supposed to live that way. Colossians 3.17 says that. Not, nothing bad about that at all. But I think it's also important to say to literally talk to God because that's what prayer is just to give you an example so if I'm a good husband I'm not just aware of Jackie I'm not just uh, I mean if I'm a a good husband like everything I do every decision I make has her in mind right I, I I never make a purchase of any kind really that she doesn't know in advance and kind of approve it right if I'm a good dad I'm thinking all the time about my kids and how my decisions might affect them. But look, being aware of my wife, being cognizant of her, taking her into account does not replace my need to actually speak to them. You talk with them. So how do we get the view that having just an attitude is enough? Now, those of you who are maybe newer in following Christ, you probably not be confused by this at all. But i got to tell you, some longtime Christians You might have heard a verse that may be uh, one of the three most misapplied verses in Scripture. First First Thessalonians is just pray without ceasing. Some of you guys have probably heard sermons on this. You should always have an attitude of prayer. You should be praying 24-7. Really? Really? How do you do that when you're asleep? So so what is God really telling us there? Pray without ceasing. Pray without giving up. Pray without altering. Pray without, you know, know, it's not necessarily praying 24-7, No, if you want God to move, You got to have more than just an attitude. Get away and talk to God. That's what Jesus did. Think about it. Jesus, who lived without sin, lived with the Holy Spirit. It also said that while he lived on earth, he did nothing of his own accord, but simply took instructions from God the Father. I mean, if there's anybody who could be like 24 7 in communion with God all the time, just walking around, it'd be Jesus. But we're told that he often said, I'm going to get up here, I'll go over there, I'm going to pray. I think maybe this is one of the reasons a lot of Christians don't experience some of the answers to things they'd like God to do. They ask one time, then they just kind of think about it a lot. The Bible says, no, you knock. Keep knocking. You seek. You keep seeking. You ask. You keep asking. Prayer is something that you actually do and it requires saying stuff. Now, um, that might come out in all different kinds of ways. I mean, you might be on a prayer walk talking to God, right? You might be uh, around people. You don't want to break out in prayer out loud, you can pray in your head. Um, But that's different, right, than just being merely aware of God. Now let me show you a passage out of Genesis that kind of follows up on this. Context here is that Abraham and Sarah finally have a son in their old age. His name is Isaac. He grows up and he is in need of a wife. So Abraham sends a servant back to his homeland to find a wife from there. So we're tapping into the servant's story of what happened. So here's what the servant says. He's arrived back home in Abraham's home. Okay, I came today to the spring and said, quote, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if you are now prospering the way that I go, behold, I'm standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, drink, and I will draw from your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Now listen to this. Here's what he says. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her water, jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. He quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink and i will give your camels drink also so he's saying this prayer he's speaking it but it's in his heart so i don't think scripture's saying you got to talk out loud necessarily but you have to consciously be pray you got to be consciously communicating words to god whether it's in your head whether it's a whisper whether it's regular speaking or whether it's you know yelling out loud or whatever um there are a couple of things i'm praying for specifically right now i've had Literally hundreds of conversations with God about these things, and uh, this this preparing this message has been helpful because it's like okay, keep on keeping on, right? Keep on keeping on. Don't stop what I'm doing. Keep communicating with God about them. Look, if you're driving, you can talk with your wife, right? So you can drive and still pay attention to the road and still talk to God like you're talking to your wife when you're driving because prayer is is speaking in action. So that's the first principle. Second principle is this: the Lord's Prayer. Is a nice model to follow, but it's not some magical prayer to recite. You notice that there are different versions of this in Luke 11 and Matthew 6. It's not like Jesus had a brain cramp or something and forgot part of it and goofed up. It's just that he probably said this in many different settings. And what he was always giving was a template. If you want to pray, here's, how you, here's, like, here's the stuff you pray about. It's not that these are some magical words that if you just say them, they, they make something happen. I think it's a tragedy to think that you could just memorize what Jesus prayed, say it, and then go out and live however you want to, right? (laughs) Listen, it's a very simple template. You pray for God's agenda, you pray for God's will, you pray for your needs, because that's the Lord's prayer in summation. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. You pray for God's will to be done here, on earth and in our lives. Pray for God's will to be done here. God, I pray you will be glorified. I pray your will will happen. If you got friends going through a tough time in their marriage, you pray your will will be done in that issue. Uh, you, pray, you can pray that stuff will be done, uh, God's will will be done in the big national issues. Whatever it is, kind of try to get, the, get to the bottom of what it is that God's will would be, what would bring glory to him, and then ask for that to be done. That's what Jesus said you do. But then you also pray, you need, you got physical needs, right? you got spiritual needs. Give us this day or what? Bread. It's a template for all the physical things in your life, regular stuff, health, food, whatever, and your spiritual needs. And one of the things that highlights is that we all as humans need forgiveness. So it's right there. And then there's this haunting thing, right? Lord, forgive me as I forgive those who wronged me. Uh Uh-oh. Asking forgiveness for our sins by God comes with the caveat that you and I have been willing to forgive everyone else around us, and even asking forgiveness from those we wronged, because we're always messing up, aren't we? Can you figure that out yet? <laughs> yeah, when we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, all our sins are forgiven, right? Past, present, teacher, and our eternal destiny is secured. <laughs> the Spirit starts changing us, moves in, does that from the inside out. But we're adopted as God's children. He paid the price. But as any of you know, if you got a son or a daughter, there are some good days and there are some bad days with that son or daughter, right? Still your kid, still in your family, still love them, the socks off of them. But there are days when you're likely to say yes to some things they ask for and days when you're probably not likely to say yes same with us and god so day in day out keeping that relationship with god strong and hang um can hang on not only asking forgiveness of him and others but also making sure you're giving forgiveness to others then it's the uh, not lead us into temptation stuff not and deliver us from evil protect us in a sense of spiritual protection again i don't think there's that much value in reciting the lord's prayer I think there's incredible value in using it as a template or a model of the kind of things we ought to be praying for and what you want God to do and what you intend to do in response. So that's that's a second principle. Third principle is this. I think God God responds to relationship, not so much technique. When it comes to praying to God, hey, God, would you do this or that? Or Lord, would you give me the wisdom or insight into this or that? Or help me make the right decision here. His response to us comes out of our relationship, not our technique. And I think this is often misunderstood today. God's God's the creator of everybody, okay? Every human being made in the image of God. No question there. But he is not the heavenly father of everybody. This is where our culture has kind of a, I don't know, political correctness thing that's, a, that's completely opposite of what scriptures say. In our culture, you can live any way you want to. You can hate God, and you are still a created being made in the image of God. That's why... As Christians, we're not to slander anybody else or do anything to hurt other, other people. In fact, we're even told, hey, when evil is done, return good for them. God has a very high opinion of human beings. But we make a mistake when we say, well, because everybody is made in the image of God, everybody has a Heavenly Father in God. Nope, nope, and nope. So you got to see this. Here's John in his gospel talking about Jesus. In fact, John's entire gospel is driven by one theme to lay out why everybody should believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. John says this in chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God. So being a child of God, that is to have God as your Father, is dependent upon receiving Christ, believing and trusting in his name. So those who do that have God as their Heavenly Father. Those who do not, do not have God as their Heavenly Father. Are, are they God's creation? Yep. Yeah. Does He care for them? Yep. Yeah. Did Jesus die for them? Yep. No one on earth is automatically a child of God just by showing up on planet earth. We must be adopted into God's family as His children. And that happens when we place our faith in Christ, give our lives over to Him, right? So. I think that's why Jesus starts his entire template with this relationship. Our Father does this. You realize that maybe technique has no real value at all, right? Some of us have been taught how to pray, right? If you haven't been taught, maybe you watched other people pray and you kind of figured out what they do is what you should do. And you know, isn't it weird how when some of us pray, our vocabulary changes, our voice gets a little deeper, gets a little more solemn or something weird. You say Father or God in practically every sentence, you do that. I mean, when I'm talking to Sam, I don't use Sam's name in every sentence. <laughs> I mean, it's not normal when we're talking to regular people. So you do not I don't think you have to be particularly articulate in prayer. And I don't think you have to fret about goofing up your words. I mean, if you're praying for something, you pull a scripture that you read, I think it's in Romans, but it's actually out of 2 Corinthians, I don't think you have to worry about it. I don't think any good dad is going to turn his two-year-old away because of poor grammar or getting a factoid wrong. God doesn't either, it's all relational. You are his child, so you've got nothing to do but learn to walk in obedience to him. Tell him you know when it is when you mess up, forgiving other people when they mess up, sharing with God what you need physically and spiritually, and however it comes out, I don't think it matters that much, at least to God. Now, there might be some snooty Pharisees around your life that might think your prayers aren't all that great. But you know what, <laughs> can I tell you this? They do not matter. They do not matter. Only God matters. He loves you, so relax and pray. Speak. You can do that. Now, you know, almost all the prayers in Scripture are short. There's a couple of long ones in there, but most of them are shorter than uh, a lot of people that I, 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 I've listened to or had you know, go to some Christian conference. The Bible doesn't say to pray long prayers. The Bible says just to keep coming back. There are some people that use the joy technique of praying, you know, Jesus first and others, and then finally what you really care about, you for the acts method, adoration of God, how great he is, confession, how great you're not, thanksgiving, inclusion of A and C, then supplication, all the stuff you really wanted to talk about when you started to pray, right? We can make prayer, I think, so hard sometimes. Some of us are so intimidated that it's kind of sad. And sorry to say the church has done that to some of us, right? So I apologize for the church on behalf of what they might have done to you on prayer. You guys talk. Your heavenly Father, okay, ask Him, plead with Him. It's how you would talk to your parents? When you really wanted something as a kid. He's good with it. Just talk to Him honestly, and just keep talking to Him over and over again. And when it comes to getting your prayer requests answered, you got two two basic questions to ask Him: Have I joined the family of God? Have I stepped over that line and become a committed follower of Christ? And then, am I living in obedience to what I know? Not saying you got to be perfect but is there some area of my life that I know God wants me to move out in obedience in and I have refused? Well, guess what? You're a dad and you got a kid and you've had the kid take the car out four previous days and broken curfew every single time. Guess what? The kid asks on the fifth day, he probably ain't getting the car, right? So yeah, you're joined to the family, but are you following the house rules? Are you doing what you need to be doing as a, as a, as a child, as a child? in that family. So James tells us in 516 that the prayers of a righteous man are incredibly powerful. So a righteous man is a person who knows what God says, is a child of God, and is doing what God wants him to do. And he needs, it also needs to be persistent in prayer. So that's, that's the third principle. Fourth principle, No, yet, uh, not yet doesn't mean no. Not yet doesn't necessarily mean no. And I think it's also what Jesus is trying to get across. I think you'd agree that it's pretty easy to pray in a crisis. But it's hard to keep prayer up over a long period of time. Uh, First of all, you tend to lose hope if it's a crisis situation. If it's not a crisis deal, then it's something else. You're praying for his will. You're praying for a spouse. You're praying for your kids. The thing that's out there in the future that you're worried about can get really tiring, like you've been at it a week or a month or even a year. Some of us decades, right? So here's the fact. It turns out that few prayers are answered immediately. Even Jesus' prayers were not all answered immediately. That's why persistence is so important. The Bible talks about being devoted to prayer, being devoted to prayer. But that's an interesting construct. Anytime the Bible tells us we need to be doing something, it's probably because we're not naturally bent to do that. So for example, do I have to be devoted to eating? No, I get hungry, and I eat. (laughs) I don't have to put extra effort into eating. It just naturally happens. Sleeping? No, I get really tired. I go to bed. This happens naturally. But when God is encouraging me to be devoted to something, it's pretty much a given that I'm probably not going to do that naturally. I'm going to have to pay some attention to it. It's not a natural thing I do without thinking. It's not an instinctual thing. In Colossians four two. there's a command. Be devoted to prayer. Verses later in verse 12, uh, Paul's talking about a guy who's always wrestling with prayer for the church in Colossae. That's why I say it's an action. It's far more than, I'm going to be thinking about you. It's not thinking, man. I I hope things go well for him. I'm going to pray for somebody. When I say that, I've I've got a purpose in my mind and heart to find time to actually step down and talk to God about that thing. Now, here's a little thing from the book of Daniel, which I found interesting. Daniel is in exile in Babylon, and then Persians whack the Babylonians, and they take control. So Daniel has put his mind and heart to seeking from God an answer to when it is going to be that the nation is going to be allowed to go back home. And God finally answers him by sending an angel to him with a message. So this is Daniel uh, talking about this angel appearing with this message. Then the angel said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God words have been heard I have come because of your words the prince of the kingdom of Persia probably Satan withstood me 21 days but Michael one of the chief princes came to help me for I was left there with the kings of Persia and I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days the vision is for the days yet to come so get this Daniel probably one of the godliest guys ever, prays. God calls one of his angels over when Daniel first opens his mouth and says, okay, I want you to take this answer over to Daniel. And the guy's on his way, the angel's headed there, but some stupid demon or something holds him up for 21 days. I kind of figure, hey, God says, you've an answer. I'm gonna get my answer. Now, so I don't really know what all was going on there in the spiritual world. Don't know what the demon did to hold the angel up or how that all worked. I don't know what Michael, one of the big dude angels, did to get things moving. The Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible does tell us this, that when we pray, and God responds, it provokes, even though you and I don't see it, a very real unseen spiritual battle. And in Daniel's case, it took 21 days for the answer to get through. So I kind of wonder, okay, what would have happened if Daniel had stopped praying on day 20? I didn't wait didn't wait for the twenty-one days. Because what Jesus says is this, when you pray, follow this template. Follow this template. Remember this. It's kinda like the guy who goes to his friend's house in the middle of the night and knocked and knocked and knocked. And he finally got what he wanted, not because that guy was a friend, but because that guy knew that he was not gonna stop knocking. He was gonna knock all night long. In the same way, when you ask, keep on asking. You seek and keep on seeking knock and keep on knocking your prayers will be informed by the holy spirit over time and an answer will come And when it comes it will just suddenly show up now, i love these stories the bible's full of them where people are just asking because jesus says to ask a couple of times i prayed maybe you have too you go man i'm praying for something and you're thinking there's no way this is going to happen but i'm going to i'm going to pray anyway i feel like god's leading me to pray this and then god comes through got. i tell you this he did not come through because I had some tremendous faith. Truth is, I probably had about zero faith. I mean, my faith was basically just to pray. But did I really think it was going to happen? I mean, you pray about a test result, it comes back negative. You go, man, be, please run that testing because I can't believe this is true. Um, I don't think God necessarily answered prayer just because of my faith, but because of the persistence, which demonstrates that you still have faith in God, even though you don't know, you're not really sure what God's going to do. Really not because of my competence, I don't think faith is you imagining how much it could happen or how confident you are or how articulate you are. I think faith is shown by how persistent you are, even when you can barely hang on. And that's why Jesus said at the end of the persistence passage, well, the son of man find faith and he returns. Jesus is kind of defining faith as that persistence. So do you want to pray? Prayers are answerly, actually answered. Well, do you do you speak? You don't quit speaking. God absolutely says no or God instructs you to modify the prayer or you get what you were asking for because it was God's will. That's it for me. Let me pray for us. Now, we thank you for this uh, instruction from your word. Um, There's such a...